I was going to make a lesson and bring a lesson regarding the tabernacle itself and just a couple of different components of it. And I felt the Lord put on my heart to bring in, um, well, to incorporate a song that we sing. Um, If you're familiar with number 114, it's one of my favorites. It might be one of your favorites as well. I love the song for the sound of it, uh, the music of it. I love the song in particular for the words of it. It's got a triumph about it. A victory about it. It's a progressive nature of truth and the way that it finishes up just just encapsulates to me well the access that we have by faith in the Lord Jesus. And so I'll bring that in as our lesson plan of sorts. You'll see what I'm talking about here in just a moment. Uh, but if you're familiar, again, with that song, you recognize that verse by verse, it speaks of the child. It comes from the perspective of the child of God moving closer, nearer, and ultimately into the tabernacle or the temple, if you wanted to consider it from that perspective. But I'm using the tabernacle for for our considerations this morning. Moving in and ultimately ending up in the tabernacle within. And that tabernacle is presented in Exodus 40. So we're going to begin by reading Exodus chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. And we'll talk about that more here in just a second. So if you flip to Exodus chapter 40, we'll read verses 1 through 8, where it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put in it the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. Now, that being said... Uh, The tabernacle was that center of worship for the time that they were walking through the wilderness when Israel came up out of Egypt. They were going through the wilderness. They had the tabernacle as essentially a tent that they carried around with them, erected it and took it down when the Lord determined that it was appropriate to do so. And it was the center of their worship. When they actually entered into the promised land, it remained the center place of their worship. For a time, it was in a city of Shiloh, and then it ultimately went to Jerusalem before Solomon built the temple uh, that replaced it and was that permanent fixture, semi-permanent, you might say. Um, the thing about this tabernacle here, and there, as we just read that in passing, it seems kind of dry and perhaps not a whole lot to it. I've been reading it at length for a while now. And so it means a little bit more to me, perhaps, than just reading it dry. But you see all the lamps, and you see incense, and you see veils, and you see that sort of thing. It's just talking about how to set it up. And it's set up pretty much like it's depicted here in this picture. The tent, and then it moves out within the the tent, you might say, within that tabernacle, two separate little areas. And then there's this courtyard. Ultimately, there's a door or or a, a gate leading to without the tabernacle area. And so what you, what you find about the tabernacle is you read about it. And you read about the Israelites and their dealings with it. It had a lot of feelings attached to it, I'm sure. It had a lot of feelings of mystery, I would say. Probably felt rather mystical to them a number of times. When the clouds settled upon it, the presence and the glory of, the, of God was there. They could actually visibly see it. 
There would be some mystery. There might be some fear attached to it. There would be some uncertainty attached to it because there were times when, when the Lord would lead and say, it's time to go, and they'd have to pull up and they would have to move on to the next camp. And, and so on and so forth. A lot of different feelings would be attached. And one of those feelings I think that would, be, would have been very real was separation because they weren't allowed to go. Just the typical standard Israelite, the layperson, wasn't allowed to go into that tabernacle. It was isolated, and access was only given to certain ones. And this song that we sing here, this I Believe the True Report, it speaks and it brings an analogy of the access that we have. The access that was represented, well, in the putting away of the tabernacle. I like this song. It removes those tangible separations. It removes all of the concept of separation that was there at this time when the tabernacle was that center of worship. So we're going to quickly go through these lyrics of this song. Quickly, I trust, uh, go through them and just see how it carries us through that way. I I appreciate these hymns. You know, uh, I hesitate to use modern vernacular, but, you know, my kids talk about certain songs slapping, you know, or so. Our hymns don't slap, man. (laughs) I believe the true report doesn't slap. It's not a banger. It's, it's not anything of those sort. But man, it has some meaning to it. And I appreciate these things, and I do consider, and I have considered, I'm kind of speaking off the cuff right here, but I've considered our songs a number of times and how to incorporate more contemporary, more audibly appealing. No, I, I keep on getting checked about it because it's not about what appeals to the ears. It's not about what appear, appeals to the emotions. If you're tuned into the Spirit... When you appreciate the Word of God, however it's presented and however it's reflected to you, then you will be moved in the emotions. You will be moved in the Spirit, and you will be moved uh, to understand and appreciate the depth of some of these songs that we sing. So, let's, uh, let's do as this song does, and we're going to work from the outside of the tabernacle inward. That's how it carries you. That's how the analogy is presented in number 114. So, verse 1, as I had put up there just a moment ago, said, I believe the true report. Hallelujah to the Lamb, I have passed the outer court. O oh, glory be to God. Um, the key setting in this verse is that outer court that we just saw. Um, it says there in verse 8 of our opening passage here, You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. Time out just for a second. I didn't do something. Uh, Allie, I'm going to ask you, If I happen to, I'm going to make you work today. If you don't mind clicking back to the tabernacle screen, I didn't uh, repeat it, but if you'd go back to that tabernacle picture and be ready to go back again and again. If you look there where it says entrance curtain, that essentially is what it's talking about. That's the, that's the screen at the court gate. And as, as you walk inside of that screen, uh, you see that there's a couple of implements that are there. Now they've put some slaughtering tables and the like and, I just ask you to put those aside because it's mentioned here, uh, the altar of burnt offering and the bronze labor. And we understand that those were implements for the use of the priests, for them and them alone. They brought the burnt offering, the peace offering, grain, sin, trespass offering, those ones that were put upon that altar to bring any number of different things between the people of Israel and God to bring reconciliation, to bring atonement. Once a year, that offering was brought, and the blood was brought into the Holy of Holies. I'm going to get ahead of myself there. But it was intended to present those offerings and maintain, or at least ceremonially maintain, uh, 
that relationship, you could say, between God and his people, the individuals. Uh, that labor was there for ceremonial cleansing, a picture of the cleansing that the priests had to have and had to undergo in order to operate the things of God. And again, access to this court was limited, if any access was given, to the layperson. They were allowed to come to the door. We can see in Leviticus chapter 4 and verses 1 through 4, they could come before the door and bring their sacrifices there. Thanks, Al, for doing that. Leviticus 4, uh, number uh, verse 1 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sins, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. This is just one offering that's presented there. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. These were offerings that were brought for, again, for cleansing, and for reconciliation, for peace and atonement, all those things that sinners needed and still need today. Even in the absence of the blood of bulls and goats, we understand. Uh, we still need atonement. We've received it, thank the Lord, but all sinners need that. All sinners need to be reconciled. All sinners have needed cleansing and continue to need cleansing from those things. And we understand we have those things. God's children have those things available to them. They've partaken of, the, uh, of atonement. They've partaken of reconciliation. We have peace and can have more peace and more cleansing as needed. We have it in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. 1 Peter 1.18, Peter says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, or without and without spot. Jesus was our sacrifice. Jesus was our cleansing. He was the offering that went onto that brazen altar. He was, well, the water, the cleansing that was within that labor. And he brought us into his family and by shedding his blood, by being those things to us. And so verse 1 of the song continues. Now, as a result, I am all on Jesus' side. Once with Jesus crucified to the world and sin, I've died. Hallelujah to the Lamb. In keeping with the clock, we'll move on to verse 2. Now, God's children, as a result of this, they don't remain outside the court. They have passed the outer court, we can see. Uh, how come? We'll get there in, in just a moment. We've passed that outer door and able to come in because we have received that sacrifice. We have received that cleansing once and for all for us. And then he's there for us. For salvation for every day. Because we have these credentials. Um, so verse 2 goes, I'm a king and priest to God. That doesn't read very well, but you can see it. Hallelujah to the Lamb. By the cleansing of the blood, O oh, glory be to God. It's part of who we are. Kings and priests to God. We are able to be inside that court. And furthermore, to enter into the tabernacle, as we'll see here in just a moment. It's a part of our makeup in the Lord. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 is just one place where it describes his children as being so. Revelation 1, verse 5 says, From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. 
Amen. Kings and priests to God. We are qualified now. It's our credential. So many people put so much interest and effort and money and time into the alphabet soup that follows their name. Right? I used to be an EMTP. Uh, it's an emergency medical technician, paramedic. I used to be, I'm not going to give you all the lists of what I used to be. <laughs> the Lord actually gave me a beautiful picture in 2019 when all of my credentials and certifications, just about everything I had was in my basement. It got flooded away, soggy, and it just got thrown away. And I didn't save it. It's not a thing. <laughs> and I was good with that. I'm not interested in the alphabet soup that I perhaps have garnered. Now, there's a place for such things, certainly. There's a place for your credentials as it pertains to your career and that sort of thing. But once it takes the place, any place that the Lord should hold, then those credentials don't, well, they're not doing anything but harming you. And so I'm glad that the Lord removed those things from me because here's what my credential is today. King and priest to God. I'll take it. I'll take it. And kings and priests don't stay outside of the court. They have access to the tabernacle. And so we see that key setting of verse number three, being the outer curtain of the tabernacle itself. I have passed the outer veil, it says in verse three. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Which did once God's light conceal? That's a past tense. One time it hid the light of God. One time it concealed it. The outer veil, Allie, if you'll flip back to our picture there. It refers to the door curtain. You might say. You can see where it says brazen labor there. As you move towards that interestingly colored tent there, there's another veil, a first veil, you might say, a curtain that is hung there that essentially keeps people out and keeps the dust and the elements out uh, to a measure. Um, Having passed the outer veil would bring someone from that outer courtyard into the tabernacle itself, into the structure and our text records that room there in back in Exodus chapter 40, our text that we opened up with where it explains how it was supposed to be uh, entered into and how it was supposed to be set up. Exodus chapter 40 and verse 4 says, You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You'll notice we're working our way backward from Exodus 40, verse 8, backwards, because we're entering into the tabernacle instead of moving outward. It was called the holy place, this was, inside this tabernacle. The holy place. Not the most holy, not the holy of holies, or the holiest of holies that we're perhaps most familiar with. It was the holy place. And this place contained the table of the showbread. And it, can, and it also held the altar of, of incense, golden altars, say something similar to this, except gold. Incense was kept burning on that altar. It also held a lampstand and lamps. And these things weren't accessible. They weren't something available to the layperson, as I said a moment ago. These were things that were withheld. These were things that you couldn't even touch them unless you're one of the Levites that was given to pack them up or you were a priest Uh, yourself. Um, Now you understand, Jesus granted us access to these things and the things that they represent. Turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 33. In regards to that showbread, if you're familiar with the showbread at all, you understand that it was, well, it was called continual bread in the King James Version. It was something that was kept baked fresh and replaced. We know that David came in and secured some 
Because he had an understanding of grace. He had an understanding of what that meant. That was ahead of his time, I would say. But it was renewed daily. It was unleavened bread. And it was put out there and it was presented as a picture. A picture, uh, we understand, of, of Jesus. John chapter 6 and verse 33. For the bread of God is who? Is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always, those ones speaking to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is that unleavened, sinless bread of life. He is that one that was all-sufficient, all-abundant, all-everything for us, our necessary food. He is that word that came and dwelt among us. He's all of that. He is the bread of life. And it was presented all the way back in the days of Moses uh, as, as... Well, as part of that access that we have to partake of him. The lampstand. Certainly, we understand that Jesus is the light of the world. All of these things represent Jesus. He's the answer and he's the the very antidote to darkness. We talk about darkness a lot, don't we? I mean, different ones will pray. Lord, help us to be lights in this dark world. Well, who is the light that enables us to be light? That's the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, Those ones who will pass the outer court are able to come in and see that light that was once concealed, as the verse goes in our song. Uh, I'll give you an example. In John chapter 8 and verse 11, that adulteress, that one who was caught in the very act of adultery, Jesus asked her if anyone still condemned her when they they brought her to him. And, well, he said a few things, right? They were checked in their heart and they left. From the youngest to the oldest, or the oldest to the youngest, rather. And he says, does anyone still condemn you? And in verse 11, John chapter 8, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, how come? How could she go and sin no more, this one who was so immersed in darkness and the things of darkness? Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Have that brightness that was once concealed. Have the light that is within that pierces through the darkness and isn't permeated by that darkness. You understand, you've heard a number of different preachers and a number of different testimonies of those ones where the dark is pushed away by simply striking a match, striking a lighter, striking, lighting a candle, flipping on your, your phone. The darkness doesn't permeate that. People talk about black holes and all those things that are theoretical and whatnot, swallowing light and that sort of thing. I'm not getting into that because my God is larger than any black hole. (laughs) But what I see day after day is as dark as it might be. I can flip on my watch. I can flip on my phone. I can flip on whatever. Whatever might be that production of light, that producer of light. And the darkness must flee. Jesus is indelible light. He is the light of the world. (laughs) And he doesn't conceal himself from anybody who wants to see him. That's the bottom line. Uh, which did once God's light conceal, that light is no longer concealed. The altar of incense is also in there. I better step on it a little bit here. Incense being presented in Scripture is a picture of our prayers. We understand that. In Psalm 141 and verse 1, the psalmist said, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you. As incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. You can read elsewhere in Revelation where it talks about the incense coming up as the prayers of the saints. Well, that's, that's our prayer, that incense that's in there. 
what brings our prayer to the Lord God? What brings our prayer to the Father? Well, Jesus does. We ask in Jesus' name, don't we? That golden altar was a representation of Jesus lifting up our prayer to the Lord. Bearing it up, giving us a foundation by which we can approach the Father. And our prayers should always be ever-present. Jesus is that one who brings us reconciliation, who makes our prayers even available. Available to the Father. It's because of his holding them up that the Lord is willing to listen. And listen he does, of course. But it is through Christ, of course. And so that verse finishes up. The blood has brought me in to God's holiness so clean, where his glory air is seen. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now, I could go into a number of other symbols that are here, just in this little area here, just in this holy place, where we see the bread, and we see the incense, and we see uh, all the bread and the incense and the lampstand. I don't have the time to go into those things. Seek those out for yourself, but you do understand that the bread of life is not just Jesus, but Jesus as the Word as well. Jesus as what he's presented to us, the written word of God, the lampstand. We see lamps presented. Well, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, Revelation 2 and 3 presents lamps as being churches, right? The incense is the prayers of the saints as we considered. All of these things are elements that are part of our vibrant life of faith. And I believe that as children of God who have been given to come into the court and given to come into the tabernacle, I think it's very plain that all of these elements here, as part of a living faith, as part of an active faith, well, where do we see those things? The Word of God, God's people as the church, prayers of the saints and praying together. Well, we see it in assembling together. I think that there's a a real picture here that we're called to assemble together, where those on the outside Well, it's not that they're not welcome there, but they don't desire that assembling. They don't desire to be included in that. We're intended to gather together as children of God, as kings and priests. And I think that we see that represented here in this holy place. But I'll leave that there again for time's sake. The final verse of the song completes that presentation of the access that we have as children of God. Um, In verse 4, it says, I'm within the holiest pale. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I have passed the inner veil. Oh, glory be to God. Now, again, I've sung this song since I was well old enough to remember anything. And I didn't know what in the world a pail was. <laughs> I always thought lunch pails. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, you know, I never even used a lunch pail, but that's what my teacher always called it for some reason. Uh, but that's, where, that's what I considered and what I thought of when I used to sing, I'm within the holiest pale, I automatically thought of those little metal lunch boxes. For some reason. <clears throat> that being said, that's not what it is. And the veil isn't something that comes down over the face of, of a bride or that sort of thing. But that's where I went to. That's what I thought of when I was a kid because I knew something of this bridal company. And so, yeah, I didn't really understand. But it's worth understanding, isn't it? The veil is that wrought and decorated and skillfully prepared curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Back in our text in Exodus chapter 40, in the first three verses there, as we continue to walk into this tabernacle here. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put it in it the ark of the testimony, 
and partition off the ark with the veil. Separating the holy place from the most holy place, the key setting of, that, of this verse here, that holy of holies was that veil that was there. That veil separated the holy place from the Ark of the Covenant that was presented there. That thing that represented Jesus perhaps the clearest, the most. It was the place where the high priest went in one time a year, sprinkled blood on the mercy seat, which is just the cover of that box. Wood overlaid with gold, a picture of Jesus and his deity, and a picture of Jesus and his humanity, all together, all together man, all together God, of course. God was communed with there in that room, there in that place, and only the one was given to go as he took the blood and took it in there and communed on behalf of Israel and himself. It was a place restricted to everybody. Access was limited to everybody. Except for one, uh, until they broke down that tabernacle and different ones were given to remove those things. But for all intents and purposes, just one. And certainly that is no longer the case today. Again, in Christ, access has been given. Matthew 27, verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake. And the rocks rent. I think it would have been impressive to see rocks split and tear and and break and all of those things. It would have been impressive to see the earthquake and to to hear it. Some of you have sat through such things. Henry evidently experienced one in, in Japan recently. But the most impressive thing is the picture of that man, that curtain, that veil that symbolized so much separation, so much limited access. Now again, I want it understood that the same God who presented all of that is the same God of grace and love and mercy to us today. We understand this. The same one who, who offers us grace and unmerited favor and, and altogether fellowship and communion with him, we understand that it was the same God. These were things that were presented as pictures, and those ones who wanted fellowship with God, those ones who would listen to the Lord. Joshua, Joshua wasn't a priest. You understand this. The judges, those ones who were listening to the Lord and spoken of, uh, spoken to by God, they weren't priests. David was not a priest, but he was interested. You're telling me he didn't have communion with Jehovah? Absolutely, he did. Those ones who could look and see and have some understanding, God has a purpose in this, and I will go through these, well, these requirements that He has in order that I might solidify and I might understand and I might, even if I don't understand, honor Him in these things. I will go through these motions that I don't comprehend, but there's a provision here of grace to our people who have not deserved it. There's a provision here of protection to our people who have not deserved it. And those ones who would take time and understand would see a God of love, would see a God of grace, would see a God of kindness. Certainly, certainly in the midst of judgment and in the midst of those things that needed to be established there, particularly on those ones on the outside who weren't interested in being part of God's people. But my goodness, what a day that would have been to recognize, put all aside all the earthquakes and whatnot, recognizing that that veil was torn and access was available, at least in picture, to anybody. There's nothing here. This is a shell now. Very much like the empty tomb. A shell. It's completely... Jesus is no longer there. Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Man, the temple 
The temple held nothing, nothing of value once Jesus came in and put aside and fulfilled all of that, fulfilled the law and said, all access is given to any and all. His own sacrifice opened up that place and made it accessible to anybody and removed the need for any intercessor other than Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 10 says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves. Thank goodness. Thank goodness we don't have to do that anymore. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And so, that final verse closes of our song. I am sanctified to God by the power of the blood. Now the Lord is my abode, my communion, my fellowship, my one-on-one with him. Hallelujah to the Lamb. The Lord shed his blood, certainly, to sanctify us. He certainly did it for anybody who wants him. He certainly did it so that no one might have to remain on the outside looking in. There's no need for anyone to stand outside peering into the courtyard, as it were, wondering what's in the tabernacle, what's going on in there, what I would give. I just, I, no, there's no need for anyone to stand on the outside looking in. He provided every way to open up the Father to each and every heart. He made himself, he made his Father, he made the Spirit accessible to anyone and all, Jew and Greek, male, female, whatever the case may be. And so the chorus praises him for that. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I have passed the riven veil where the glories never fail. I am living in the presence of the King. Saints, that is a true report that we can believe, that anyone can believe. I find a great deal of joy, well, maybe not joy, that's probably too strong a word. I find a great deal of pleasure in music. I like contemporary songs, I like pretty songs, I like things that are kind of even shallow songs, but none of those songs do any better and glorifying God and even teaching God's people than some of these old ones, whether they slap or not. And I appreciate the message that comes from them. Uh, Study out those messages. And when you see them, be grateful for them. 